0: Lesson for today. So my name is Joe Collins, and we're I'm glad you're here with us this morning. We, uh, as Seemi Church, have been going through a series entitled Jeremiah, the Branch of an Almond Tree, and been focusing on what we call cringeworthy things that God made Jeremiah do. (laughs) Now, last week we talked about the time that God made Jeremiah wear a yoke, an actual yoke like an animal would wear, to a very high level meeting. And at that meeting, we learned that, uh, and, in, and in doing so, we learned that whatever difficult situation you might find yourself in, it's always a good idea to ask yourself, who is holding the reins of your life? So today, we're going to take a little bit of a break from the cringeworthy theme, and we're going to do what I called last week a supplemental to the, the, the last week's message uh, on on uh, on Jeremiah, and we're going to be focusing at on the historical context of the life and times of Jeremiah. Now, don't worry, for those of you that are not history fans, we're going to cover quite a bit of history today. But I'll do my best to keep it moving, and also to make sure that we draw out a few points of application along the way that I believe will be relevant to our lives today. For those of you who like history like me, this is our chance to geek out on the background and the context of uh, the book of Jeremiah. So have you ever heard this phrase, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it? It was coined by writer, poet, and professor of philosophy at Harvard University, George Santa Yana, y- I can't pronounce it, San Santa y- Yana, Santa Yana. In its original form, it read, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And it simply means that as human beings, we are creatures of habit, and we often repeat behavior. Now, as we look at the historical context of Jeremiah today, I don't want us, to, for, I don't want us to, 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 to forget that even though these things may have happened over 3,000 years ago, there are still lessons from these stories that we can apply to our lives today. So let's go to God in prayer, and then we're going to jump in to our lesson today. God, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, for infilling us and empowering us. Thank you for a time to just meditate in prayer and then to meditate on the communion. I pray now, God, as we uh, turn to the text and as we learn about the life and times of Jeremiah and what was going on in the world at the time, I pray that you open up our hearts to see things, God, that we can learn so that we can uh, better ourselves and not keep repeating some of the same old bad mistakes. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so the supplemental is going to begin with an area of the world, a geographical region in the world known as the Fertile Crescent. Forgive my map up there, it's a little bit washed out on the screen, I'm aware of that. But, the, but it's that sort of darker shaded region there uh, that's shaped kind of like a half circle. Now, according to Wikipedia, the Fertile Crescent is a semicircular shaped region of the Middle East that stretches from modern day Iran and Iraq over there by the Persian Gulf, Goes north through Syria, into the southern Turkey. Then it turns west into Lebanon and south into Israel and, jo- and the Jordan, and all the way and Jordan and all the way down into Egypt. Now it's an area that was watered by three historically important rivers: the Tigris, the Euphrates, and the Nile. Because of these rivers, the region was coveted for its wealth of natural resources and strategic trade routes. It's also sometimes called the cradle of civilization because it was in the Fertile Crescent where technological advances like reading and writing, glass, the wheel, irrigation, and settled farming first emerged. In 2100 B.C., God called Abram, the father of faith, to leave his home in Ur of the Chaldeans, Ur of the Chaldeans, which was right there by the Persian Gulf, that body of water on the right side of your screen, that's where Abraham lived. Abraham lived and grew up, and that's where Ur, the Chaldean, was, modern-day Iraq, Iran area. And he traveled north through the fertile, the, the fertile crescent, all the way around and down into the area that we call Palestine today, or Israel. Thus beginning the long relationship between Abraham's descendants, the Hebrews, and the land of Palestine. Now, in Jeremiah's day, there were three empires, major world empires, that were vying for control of the fertile crescent. And specifically, that little thin stretch of land there, we call Palestine. On the map, I believe it says Phoenicia. The first was the Egyptian Empire. They were the first and the oldest of the empires. And at one point, their empire stretched all the way up into Syria from Egypt and covered that area that we call Palestine. The second empire was the most dominant empire in Jeremiah's day. This was the Assyrian Empire. They controlled almost the basically the complete area of the Fertile Crescent. They were the most dominant and powerful force at the time, at the beginning of Jeremiah's life. The third empire that was vying for control was the up-and-comers, the Babylonians. And they eventually superseded Egypt and Assyria and became the dominant force in the Fertile Crescent. So here's another map, basically the same area. I don't know if you know this, but the life and times of Jeremiah are among some of the most important and best documented in Old Testament history. As a result, many of the events mentioned in Jeremiah can be synchronized with world events and dates to a degree unparalleled in the writings of any of the other prophets. During his 80 years of life from 655 BC all the way to 570 BC and more than four decades of prophetic ministry, Jeremiah witnessed three major geopolitical shifts in the Fertile Crescent, including the rise of Babylon and the fall of both Assyria and Egypt. In 722 BC, Samaria, the capital city of the northern ten tribes of Israel, fell to Sargon II of Assyria. Then in 612 BC, the Assyrian capital of Nineveh fell to Nebopolassar and his Babylonian army. Then in 605 BC, Pharaoh Necho and his Egyptian army were defeated by Nebuchadnezzar, Nebopolassar's son, at the Battle of Carchemish, one of the most famous battles in world history. And the Babylonians became the dominant power in the fertile crescent for the next 70 some odd years. Or as we learned last week, as Jeremiah prophesied, three generations. However, four years earlier, four years before the battle of Carchemish, while Pharaoh Nico was traveling from Egypt on his way to Carchemish to face Nebuchadnezzar. He had to pass through the area of Palestine, specifically the nation of Judah and the capital city of Jerusalem. Along his way, the king of Jerusalem of, of, of Judah at the time was a man named Josiah. Josiah was good friends with Jeremiah. And Josiah was a good king. And most probably in an effort to fulfill his role as a good king, he sided with the Babylonians and tried to uh, intervene in the movements of, of Pharaoh Necho through Palestine. He tried to stop Pharaoh Necho from making its to Carchemish because he knew... From his relationship with Jeremiah that God had ordained Babylon would ultimately become the world power in his day. And so thinking he was on the side of God, he marched out against Pharaoh Necho and they met in battle at a city called Megiddo. And it was there in 609 B.C. that Josiah was killed in battle by Pharaoh Necho. And that effectively ended Judah's existence as an independent state, and set the, set in motion a series of events that would lead to the boiling pot. You might remember that phrase from our first lesson many weeks ago on Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter one. It set in motion to that boiling pot being poured out into the land of Judah. The result being the complete destruction of the Judean Judean kingdom, the city of Jerusalem, and Solomon's temple that existed in Jerusalem at that time. So now, we've set the stage. This is what's been going on in the background, in world events, as we've been reading and studying through Jeremiah. What I want to do now is I want to focus on the final five kings of Judah. And I want to begin with King Josiah. 2 Chronicles chapter 34 verse one through three, and then eight in verse 14. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Verse eight, in the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azilah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord, his God. Skip down to verse 14. While they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkai, the high priest, found the book of the law the Lord had given through Moses. Josiah became king at the ripe old age of eight years old. He ruled for about 31 years, from about 640 A.D. to 609 B.C. when he was killed at the Battle of of Megiddo fighting Pharaoh Necho. At 16, he became a follower of God. By 20, he began purging Judah and Jerusalem of idolatry. At the age of 26, he ordered renovations of the temple and discovered the missing book of the law. As a teenager and throughout his adult life, he pursued God with all of his heart, even up to his death at Megiddo, just shy of his 40th birthday, he was faithfully leading Judah away from idolatry and toward godliness. Josiah was clearly the best of not only the last five kings of Israel, but maybe, but in my opinion, he was the best of all the kings that ruled in Judah. And he is my personal favorite king to study. No one did more to reform the nation of their immoral ways than he did. Even as we found out in previous lessons, even if it was a little too little too late for the people. But you know, Josiah did not become a great king in a vacuum. In fact, the story of Josiah might have turned out very differently if it were not for a few key people in his life, including his grandfather Manasseh. Those of you that know your Bibles, you might recognize that name as being one of the most evil and worst kings Judah ever had. If you can believe it, Manasseh played a significant role in jo- jo- Josiah's spiritual growth and maturity. The high priest Hilkiah, who we've already mentioned. The prophetess of Huldah, who we'll look at in a minute. And of course, his friend, the prophet Jeremiah. These were some, these were four of who knows how many key people who, play, who, who at key times made significant impact in, on Josiah that moved him further down the road towards godliness, faith, and spiritual maturity. To see what I mean, I want to go back to 2 Chronicles 34 and get a little context of Josiah's upbringing. Verse 1, 2 Chronicles, sorry, verse 33. Chapter 33, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations of the Lord The nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. If you skip down to verse 21, we learn about his son, Amnon. Amnon. He was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. And Amnon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idols Manasseh had made. So Josiah is the son of Amnon and the grandson of Manasseh. And what we've just read here would say to you and to me that he didn't grow up in the most godly of environments. Not the kind of family that you would expect a very godly and righteous king to emerge from. Yet somehow, at 16 years of age, Josiah became a believer in the God of his father, David. David and of the other patriarchs. So what happened? Well, I want to take a closer look at chapter 33. Verse 10 says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Syria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In his distress, he sought the favor of his God, and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors." verse 14. Afterwards, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David. Verse 15, he got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel." It's an incredible story, but King Manasseh, who is considered to be a bad king, an evil king, for much of his reign was a failed king. He did not serve God. He did not bring people closer to God. And as a result, God judged him, and he was literally taken with a hook in his nose all the way out of Egypt, all the way out of Judah, and all the way around the Fertile Crescent, and in to Babylon. There, he came to his senses. And he realized that maybe I had made some bad choices in my life. And he began to call on God's name. How many of us can relate to finding ourselves in a bad circumstance and suddenly we turn to God? This is King Manasseh. So late in his reign, he begins calling on the name of the Lord. And surprisingly, God lets him return to the throne in Judah where he goes about making significant reforms. One of the worst kings in the annals of the kings of Judah has repented, begun calling on the name of the Lord and calling the people to follow him in his repentance. Was it enough in in hindsight to call him a good king? Apparently not. Was it enough for him to influence his son Amnon and to to take a different road? Apparently not. The damage had been done. But I believe it was enough to leave a lasting impression on his young grandson, Josiah, who may have only known him as a repentant king. It wasn't uncommon in those days for a king as he was beginning to transition and let his son take over where there would be a, there would be a time of regency where they would overlap their, their reigns. Well, if Amnon, who only reigned for two years, died relatively quickly and Manasseh had this change of heart, it's very possible that little Josiah, his grandson, witnessed only the good side of Manasseh and grew up in a household where Manasseh was a repentant king. Even if that didn't happen, even if he only heard about his grandfather Manasseh from stories, he would have heard the story of how his grandfather was a bad king and then repented and became a better king. I believe wholeheartedly that Manasseh's change of heart made a significant difference in the trajectory of Josiah's life. You may have sin in your past. We all do. And your sin may have made a bad impression on others. It's not too late to repent. You may not be able to write all of your wrongs, but you might write some of them. It's never too late to make a godly impression on the people you love. Another key person who had a significant influence on Josiah's life and faith was the high priest Hilkiah. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, and Joah, son of Jehoahaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. They went to Hilkai, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the temple of God, which the Levites, who were the gatekeepers, had collected from the people of Manasseh, Ephraim, and the entire remnant of Israel from all the people of Judah and Benjamin and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Verse 14, while they were bringing out the money that had been taken into the temple of the Lord, Hilkai, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Hilkiah said to Safan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And he gave it to Shaphan. This passage tells us that not only was Hilkiah high priest during the reign, during Josiah's reign, his lifetime, but he also supervised the repair work being done on the temple at Jerusalem. And he was the one who discovered the missing scroll that they called the book of the law. It was probably Deuteronomy. Now, verse one of Jeremiah chapter one says this. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. This tells us that Jeremiah's father was a priest by the name of Hilkiah. Now, I can't be for sure if this is the same Hilkiah who was also the high priest in Josiah's day. But if it was, it would mean that Hilkiah. Influenced from a very early age, the two most important people in Judah, the king Josiah and Jeremiah the prophet. I, I like to imagine Hilkiah realizing Josiah's rough upbringing, the story of his grandfather Manasseh his troubled father Amnon. I like to imagine Hilkah as the guy that kept inviting Josiah over to the house to play with Jeremiah. (laughs) Whether it's true or not, we don't know for sure. We can't be sure. But it is an interesting coincidence that they have the same name and they were both priests. But the thing that we know for sure is Hilkah was a godly man. After all, he was the one overseeing the repairs of the temple in Jerusalem that had fallen into disarray long before Josiah ever became king. So he was a godly man. And without a doubt, as a godly man and the high priest, Josiah would have been raised hearing sermons preached by Hilkiah. And there's no doubt in my mind that Hilkiah's preaching, his words, played a significant role in shaping young Josiah's mind. And affecting the trajectory of his life. My wife and I have three kids. And I love being around when my three kids have their friends over. Especially when they have friends who didn't grow up in a believing home. or, Or who aren't being raised in a believing home. And we always make it a point to connect with them. Especially those to talk to them and encourage them and to hear them and to build some sort of bridge between us and them. Who knows what God might do with my words in them. I also want to mention how grateful I am, my wife and I, all the parents really, I'll speak on behalf of all of us, for any one of you who is serving or has ever served in any one of our youth ministries, from kids' kingdom all the way up to campus ministry. Whether you know it or not, the words that you spoke or that you speak to these kids has an effect on their future. We are so grateful for friends like, The Cuevas, Gerardo, who spent months, even years, teaching my kids the basics of the Bible. I'm so grateful for anyone who's ever served in any one of these ministries because you have been laying a foundation in these kids' lives. A lot like Hilkiah did with Jeremiah and with Josiah. Thank you, campus ministry, for hanging out at the staycation. My wife mentioned that you look like you just woke up. I'll be a little kinder. I think you look great. But let me tell you, what you do at these events and the time you spend is priceless. Any one of you, who spends time with a kid who doesn't know God, doesn't come from a family of believers, isn't being raised with a spiritual or a godly, in a godly home. Every time you reach out and spend time and talk, you're making a difference. You may not know it, but you're making a difference. Your words matter. You just might be the difference between those kids turning from God toward God. 2nd Chronicles 34. The next influential person in Josiah's life that helped him come to faith at 16 years of age was a woman. Verse twenty-two. Hilkai and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Huldah. So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, decrees with all his heart and soul and to obey the words of the covenant. Written in this book at 26, Jeremiah, um, Josiah launches a a, a a a renovation of the temple which had fallen into disrepair. And Hilkiah, the high priest, oversaw the work. And they found the book of the law. After finding the book of the law, Jeremiah Josiah said to Hilkiah the high priest, "Hey, go talk to Huldah, the prophetess Huldah, and see what she says we should do." So they go over her. They go over there. They meet with her. And she does just what Hilkiah, the high priest, did. She encourages Josiah's faith and maturation. She had a positive influence on Josiah. And she told him in that meeting to read the book of the law that had been discovered to all the people and to make a new covenant with God. As a result. You know, I attribute my earliest memories of faith to my grandmother. So I want to talk to the women for a minute. Because my grandmother, even though she wasn't necessarily a regular churchgoer, I knew that she believed in God and that that her belief was the beginning of my belief in God. So ladies, without you... The men in your life, father, brother, son, friends, would be a whole lot worse off than we already are. Please, use your voice to encourage us. You may not feel... Like you have a prominent role in the lives of the people, especially the men around you. But let me tell you, you absolutely do. Just by being women, you have a unique place in any man's life that you have a relationship with. I love that the passage doesn't explain to us everything about Holda. It gives us a little bit of her context, but I'm not sure how she even knew Josiah and how, why he would have assumed to go and talk to her after they founded the book of the law. And what I love about that is because she's kind of a mystery. And let me say to you ladies, to us men, you are all mysterious. <laughs> I have been married a long time to my wife and I'm still trying to figure her out. And I really love that there's mystery there. But I can tell you this. She has an incredible influence on my life. She has powerful words that encourage me and and, and help me in my journey of faith. From the least to the youngest, ladies, Use your voice to encourage the men in your life. For me, it goes all the way back to my grandmother and then my mother and my sisters, my wife, and now, believe it or not, my daughter. She has so much power over me. Use your power to encourage the men in your life. I love that it was the prophetess Holda who told Jeremiah, read the book. You found it? Go read it. Have everybody read it. And after they did, they went, wow, we need to make a new covenant with God. We've been missing this all along. Trust me, ladies, that is a perfect example of how every man feels when a woman gives them advice and it's correct. Oh, I would never have thought of that. You play a very important role in in our lives. Verse 25. I want to come to now Jeremiah. And the influence he had on Josiah. Verse 25 Chronicles chapter 35. Jeremiah composed laments for Josiah. And to this day, all the male and female singers commemorate Josiah in the laments. These become a tradition in Israel and are written in the laments. Obviously, this passage was written at the death of Josiah after he had died and his body had been returned to Jerusalem. It was Jeremiah, his childhood friend, even though he was a few years older, his childhood friend, Jeremiah, the the, the most recognizable prophet in, in Judah at the time, was tasked with writing the laments of Josiah's life. Whether he was Hilka's son or not, the high priest's son or not, I don't know for sure. But there's no disputing Jeremiah's influence on Josiah, even from a very young age. It was mostly Jeremiah's preaching that prompted Josiah to go out to battle and face Pharaoh Necho because in his mind he was doing, he was just trying to advance the will of God. He knew Babylon was going to win. Jeremiah had been saying that for a long time. And so he went out there to try to help that happen and maybe get in on the good side of Babylon. It didn't turn out that way. But the fact of the matter is Jeremiah had so much influence on Josiah's life. You know, friendships are really important. I love when we have people share about communion. And one of the things everybody says pretty consistently or about the church is I love the friendships in the church. I want to tell you I love the friendships in the church. I hope you love the friendships in the church. I hope you find them fulfilling and helpful and encouraging. Friends matter. You need to choose your friends wisely. Josiah did not start off in a very good situation. He had a very evil grandfather and a very evil father. It wasn't the best of circumstances. Yeah, his grandfather may have repented, but if it were not for Hilkiah the high priest, if it were not for Huldah, and if it were not for his friend Jeremiah, the story of Josiah would have turned out totally different. Here's my point. Faith doesn't happen in a vacuum. It requires key people at key times to help it grow and to keep it going. Let's be the kind of faithful friends that Josiah had. Let's be that for each other. And let's be that for our oikos, the people God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life for you to be Christ too. Let's be faithful friends to them. What does that look like? It looks like praying for them regularly. It looks like investing in them regularly. It looks like inviting them to church. And it looks like preparing yourself to be the best you you can be to make the best impression on them that you can. Faith doesn't happen in a vacuum. It takes Friends. I'm going to end it here. Next week we'll have to do part two because I have a lot more I want to share. We'll look at uh, the other four remaining kings of Judah and more importantly we'll take a step back and look at what God was doing through all these cataclysmic world events that were going on in the, the life of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. But before I go, I want to close with this thought. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Let's take what we learned today. It's never too late to make a godly impression and your words matter and be a friend. And let's apply it tomorrow. so that we can write a new script in the lives of someone that God has put in our path. We're going to stand, we're going to close out with a word of prayer, and you'll be dismissed. Father, it is so amazing to take a minute and just sort of absorb the story. All the things going on in the world in Jeremiah's day, what really mattered were a handful of people who really cared about Josiah, who went on to become a great king and made a tremendous and, and lasting impact on people, even to this day. God, help us to be key people at key times in many Josiah's lives, that we can have an influence over them and maybe, by your grace, spur them on to faith and maturity. God, I just thank you so much for the beauty of your word and all of that that goes into it. And of all the whole story, it's amazing when we get into it. Help us to find and continue to find inspiration as we, as we read your word. I love you. I thank you for today. And I pray that you bless our day today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.